0: Good morning, Crossbridge family, and welcome to Crossbridge Online. I wanna thank you so much for being here with us this morning, and if you're a guest with us, I especially wanna welcome you. And I wanna let you know that my prayer for you is the same as for every single person who's watching with you right now, or is maybe listening later, and that simply is this. No matter where you find yourself today in your spiritual journey, I hope and I pray that you would be able to take one step towards Jesus, because that is what we are all about here at Crossbridge. The other thing that you need to know is there's a couple of pieces and tools you might need to help make your experience this morning a little better. If you have a Bible, uh, feel free to go grab that. If not, tell us, we will send you a Bible. You're gonna need a pen and you're gonna need your trail guide. And the trail guide is a PDF. The link is right in the description. And you could go ahead and turn to solitude because that's the step that we're gonna be taking And before we jump into solitude, which is the step we're going to get to so you could turn to that, I just want to stop and say thank you so much. As we took the step of service last week, many of you took opportunities to send quick text messages to people. I know that some of you showed up when others were in pain and you did nothing more than just listen and say, I'm here. And so thank you so much for stepping into looking like Jesus for others. And I can't wait to continue in that with you. Now, as you turn to solitude this week, I should probably tell you that when it comes to solitude, for the next uh, bit of time that we have together, I may be messing up words. And I tell you that because every time that I mention solitude, I'm probably gonna say the word silence as well. Silence and solitude. I might interchange those words, and it's not to mess you up. It's simply because from all of the ancient historical church fathers that I've read to current and past theologians, Anytime you talk about solitude, silence is right with it. And anytime you talk about silence, it's usually in the context of solitude. So I will use those words interchangeably in our time. And I tell you that also because I've done a lot of reading on this. And the reason I've done so much reading is simply, this is the step that I've learned is the most difficult for me. I know I've mentioned that about a couple of things and I've kind of grown in them, But this one has been notoriously the thorn in my side, the idea of being silent and solitude. And I I mean, there's so many stories that I could tell you about how I've not done this well, but I think my favorite, if you will, to throw your pastor under the bus, is when I was back in college, I was studying for my degree in Bible and pastoral ministry. So, you know, to be a professional Christian. There was a moment when we went on a retreat, and this retreat was in the context of my small group of guys that I was with, along with some other people in our class, and it was this monastery in New York. We went there and my spiritual director, which was someone who was really overseeing my spiritual development at that time and trying to pay attention to what God was doing in my life, He said to me um, and to everybody, you're going to have a half day retreat by yourself to start out this weekend. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he said to me specifically, Jimmy, yours is unique. While I'm going to be placing everyone alone at a different spot, I have a special spot for you. And I was like, oh, cool. I get a special spot. He brought me to a small place in the woods, actually pretty similar to where I'm standing right now. And in this place, he handed me a small envelope and simply one sheet of paper. He told me I could not bring my Bible. I could not bring my journal. I couldn't bring any pens or writing utensils. I had nothing but this one sheet of paper that simply had a psalm on it. That was it. And he prayed over me and he said, this is your boundaries and I'll see you in eight hours when I come to pick you up. Say what? You said a half day retreat, like that's like a full day of work, eight hours. I I, I don't wanna do this. And so I decided, okay, here we go. Eight hours alone in the woods. And the reason he told me I couldn't bring a Bible, journal, pen, any of that is because he knows that I'm a workaholic. He knows that I really enjoy work. And so in that time, he took away my ability to write sermons, to create Bible studies. He took away my ability to plan and dream and think of structures and stuff like that. And the reason he did that And here's the confession that I need to tell you is that um, I really wrestle with a performance-driven faith. I I wrestle with understanding the love of God without performing for Him or trying to accomplish more and do more. And that is the basis of many of my spiritual, you know, the spiritual lies that I believe is I need to perform to know that God loves me. And the more I do, the more He'll love me. That was all taken away. And so you know what I did is I sat. I sat and I was like, okay, I'm gonna exercise the step of study. And so I tried to memorize that Psalm. I tried to think about the Hebrew words that I knew in the Psalm. And, and then I, I decided to spend some time resting in the Lord. If you don't know what that means, that's a spiritual phrase for us taking naps, strong naps. And I kept waking up wondering how much longer, how much longer, how much longer? I began to get so bored that I wore a path into my little spot, tracing the boundaries with my feet to figure out where my line was, how far I could go. Then I began to gather walking sticks and other sticks. And I feel embarrassed to say this to you, but I began to build things out of those branches. I would find anything on the ground and start to build a little house. And I was like, this could be cool. I could build things. And I spent the rest of the time working I never took what was in my hand and again, laid it down and said, God, I'm here simply just for you. I felt like I needed to perform. When I was done with that and my spiritual director came to pick me up, he said, Jimmy, how was your time? And I said, it was great. And he's like, Oh, what was so great? I said, I took a nap. And he's like, actually, that is great. You, you, you needed that. And I was like, and then I built this whole structure, check this out. And I began to show off my work. And he looked at me and shook his head, not in disappointment, but in sadness. And he said, Jimmy, I have a feeling that your life is so busy, that your mind is so consumed with stuff to do, that you've missed this blessing that God put in front of you. And you could probably use a three to four day retreat like this alone by yourself in order to step into solitude and silence. (sighs) I would suggest you try it. To which I thought, never you're crazy, man. I will never be able to spend that much time because the truth is I felt like it would be a waste of time. Eight hours alone by myself doing nothing feels like a waste of time because I like producing. And what I've come to realize is that silence and solitude are God's gift to remind us that our true identity is in Him and nothing else. The gift of solitude for you and I is not this idea of just being away, but it's being a way to understand that God loves us no matter what we do or perform for him against. God says, I love you not because of what you do, just because you're you and I've created you. I've knit you together and I love you. As we tackle this step today, and we look at what the scriptures have to say about silence and solitude, I need to tell you that I'm not just standing here as your pastor to tell you this is important, but I'm standing beside you as a apprentice of Jesus, trying to follow him, but understanding that this is the hardest step for me to take. Um, And I am constantly learning more and more about this step And I can tell you now today that this is probably one of the most refreshing steps that I take every day. And I cannot imagine my life without it. And even more than that, I have found myself in the position of my spiritual director looking on with sadness to those around me who cannot find the space to be alone and worried about their survival spiritually because it's just not sustainable to keep working. So let's look at silence and solitude together. And as we look throughout Scripture, you are gonna find that this is a natural part of most people's journey, the idea of getting away to be with God, to finding times where you are alone to be with God. And one of my favorites, uh, you'll see them all throughout the Old Testament, but We're actually going to read this, I think, in two weeks or so, in 1 Kings 19. We're going to read the story of a a prophet, and his name is Elijah. And Elijah is this really, uh, he's just a funky character in the Bible because he ends up saying things, it doesn't rain, he steps into where kings are, there's a really bad king, and he kind of stands up to him and his wife, and then he goes on the run for years, and, and he's chased, and it's pretty bad. But there comes this moment when Elijah steps back on scene and God tells him like, you need to step up. And and one conversation leads to another against him, the king and all the king's false prophets. And there's almost like this giant miraculous throwdown that they have in 1 Kings 18. And in 1 Kings 18, they have this, like I said, this competition about faith, if you will. When they go through this moment, um, Elijah wins, God wins, Elijah steps into this place where he's like, I'm a hero. I've done it. Here we go. Um, And the king runs back to tattle uh, on Elijah to his wife. And Elijah in that moment is like, oh no, I got to run. I got to get out of here. And at the peak of this massive, massive, we'll call it a performance, even though it's not because I'm going to use that word throughout here. At the peak of his performance, doing the biggest thing for God, he has to run away and be completely alone. And it's in this moment of solitude that he begins to cry out to God and say, Where are you? I'm all alone. I've got nothing. I feel isolated. I feel like the king hates me. Everyone's out to get me. What am I supposed to do? And in solitude, he gets mad at God about even feeling alone. Where are you? Do you know how God speaks to him? Listen to how he speaks to him. We're going to go to 1 Kings 19. And it says this, starting in verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, many of us, I believe, are in Elijah's shoes where we complain to God about feeling so alone. When we're always surrounded by people, you and I both know that you can be surrounded by people and still feel loneliness at the core of who you are. You could be a concert and feel alone, You could be in your bedroom and feel alone. You could be the most popular person on Facebook and feel alone and cry out and say, no one sees me. And that's what Elijah does. And Elijah stands out there and he's like, God, do you hear me? Will you speak to me? And sometimes I fear that we're always waiting on God for the big things. We're waiting for the massive church service. And and don't hear me wrong. I love big worship sets. I love when we do worship night together, but I'm sick and tired of people saying, well, the music didn't really get me, and it wasn't big, it wasn't this, and it's like, wait a second, why are you waiting for God in the big all the time? Well, the message, it was a little, uh eh, it didn't really connect, so I I, I skipped to the next video. Wait a second, God's, God's not always in the big, and here we're always waiting for the big events to hear from God, and what happens to Elijah? The wind rips through to the point of taking stones off the mountain. And is God in the wind? No, he's not in the wind. And then the earth begins to shake. And is God in the earthquake? No, he's not in the earthquake. I don't know if you've ever seen fire come down from heaven. I have not. And the fire comes down and and is God in the fire, in the big? No, he's not. Where do we find God in this story from Elijah? In the gentle whisper and if you go back to the hebrew of this phrase gentle whisper it is so unbelievably complex and detailed and nuanced and gentle whisper is an amazing translation but i just want to give you a little background on that a little um the the feeling that's behind gentle whisper when you start to break it down, this idea of gentle also has the feeling of thin. It's very thin. I, I, if you could imagine, um, just like uh, take paper and divide it down a 100 times and it's, it's so delicate and flimsy, but not flimsy to the point where it's just done. You know it's present, but it's, it's so thin. And that word whisper also has the feeling of hush. And when God speaks to Elijah, it's not through the wind, the earth, and the fire. It is simply through a thin hush. God speaks to Elijah in his solitude he finds God in silence. For Elijah, in his solitude, he finds God in the silence. And the truth is, I don't think that we do either of these well today. Silence and solitude are so foreign to us, we just don't do this. And and for a second, if you're here watching and you're an introvert and you're like, please, I love silence and solitude. You can get me away from people all day long. I'll be on cloud nine. That is true. You're absolutely right. But there is, uh, you know, are you really in solitude and silence? Because we both know for introverts that you're your worst critic, aren't you? We know that in your times of being alone, your mind never stops. You may know isolation, but you do not know silence. An introversion is sometimes this way of pulling away so much because you're fearful of being with people. So you begin to critique everything you do, every word you've said, every conflict you have. And you don't know what it's like to be alone or in silence because your brain has never stopped. And your soul continues to go, yes, you're introverted. Yes, you could be isolated. But that is not solitude. You have not found your identity in what God is doing. You have found your identity in what your brain says. Totally different. And for those extroverts that are out there you could raise your hands you can get real excited because the introverts wouldn't have done that a second ago you're all excited you're like extroverts here we go You, you the idea of being alone like elijah and saying i'm gonna go away to try to listen to nothing you're like there's no people there's no way i would never do it and and most of us as extroverts and i would put myself in that category we are neither silent quiet nor isolated by any means. If there's an opportunity to be with people, we want to be with people. We'll find ways to do that. But I think we fill our lives with all those people and all that noise because we're terrified of what we might hear in the silence. We're terrified that when the wind and the fire and the earthquakes begin to settle and the thin hush comes over, that we will see things about ourselves that we don't really like and so we run from those things and we surround ourselves with people. And last week, I know I mentioned to you that um, You Should Go Get Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm gonna say it again, go get this book, it is so good. And I wanna read to you something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer has to say. It's actually over on page 78 of his book. This is what he has to say about introvert, extrovert, this idea of being isolated and being with people. He says, Let him who cannot be alone beware of community, and let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings, and one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. When I look at the life of Jesus, it is not dictated by his social disposition. It wasn't driven Um, by whether he wanted to be around people, not to be around people. His life was driven and his spiritual direction was simply found in his times of silence and solitude. It was found in his times of prioritizing being alone to be with God and then moving from there. Instead of running from miracle to miracle or crowd to crowd, We read over and over in the story of Jesus about how He prioritized that time with God first, and everything else that He did came from that. When you look at the story of Jesus, how many times have we seen Him retreat? We've gone back over and over to the baptism of Jesus in this series, haven't we? How He studied the Word, this time of fasting, all these things. Again, all of these steps overlap, but if you go into Mark chapter four, What happens to Jesus after he's baptized? He's led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days. He's not with anybody. It's not like he's hanging out with a bunch of folks. He doesn't bring anything with him. He's alone in solitude and in silence. You know, Jesus prioritized this time of silence and solitude when he had to make major decisions in his life before he went and chose the 12 disciples. We find in Luke chapter six, that it was nighttime. He knew this moment was coming. And so he spends the entire night in prayer. Uh, If you look Luke chapter six, verses 12 and 13 say this, "'One day soon afterwards, "'Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, "'and he prayed to God all night. "'At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples "'and he chose 12 of them to be apostles. "'And then they go to list their names. You see, there's major decisions that need to be made. Who are the 12 guys that I'm going to pick? And what's Jesus' priority before major decisions need to be made? Prayer, silence, solitude, alone by himself on the mountain where no one can come to get him. Jesus responds to major things in his life with silence and solitude. There's a moment when he gets news that his cousin, John the Baptist, the one who baptized him in the Jordan right before he went off into the desert, the one who, I bet you he grew up with him, he knew him, they were were tight, and news comes to him that his cousin has been beheaded, that he's dead, And and it was a favor that he was killed. How do you handle mourning? How do you handle death when you're the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ? Well, in Matthew 14, Verses 13 and 14, we read this. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was and they headed and they followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He catches news of his cousin what's the thing that he does he says i I gotta get out of here for a second i need space to think about this space to process this i don't need to keep doing and doing and doing and prepare who's going to do all these things no no no, i need i need i need i need some space and so he gets on the boat and on the boat he goes from one side of this lake to the other which is actually a couple days journey and as he's beginning to take this all the people know where he's going so they're like we got to follow and jesus in his time of mourning gets off the boat and sees these people, and does he stop and say, Don't you know I'm mourning? Don't you know I just my cousin just died? No, he stops and he has compassion on them. How can you have compassion in the sense of mourning, in a season of mourning? Because you know who you are in Christ or in, in God. And Jesus knew his identity was from the Father and that he was loved and comforted. And now he could have compassion. There are times that he continues to meet people like this, where he steps off boats and he heals them, that he um, meets people in cities and they bring all their sick and their demon-possessed and all these things. And and there's this great story in Mark chapter 1 where he's over at Simon Peter's house, and at Simon Peter's house, uh, he, he heals. And then the door just ends up lining with people all the way down the pathway in this city. And the pathway's filled with people. They come in and they get healed. And the news that this mega healer and deliverer is in town is there. And so Jesus is completely wiped from a morning of teaching, an afternoon, and an evening of healing and being with people. And so we find this story in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. It says, before daybreak the next morning, this is after all that healing, Jesus went out to an isolated place to pray and later Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him they said, everyone's looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to the other towns as well. I'll preach to them too. That's why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. You see, he didn't run to miracle to miracle. He didn't run from, I got this huge gathering. How do we make it bigger? His disciples have this position where they're like, Jesus, People are lining up looking for you. They're wondering where you are. This is the beginning of something big. But what does Jesus say? Actually, from my time alone, from my time of silence and solitude, because I didn't want to deal with the people, I didn't even want to deal with you for a little bit. I needed my time with the Father to remember what I'm doing. And so what am I doing? And in his time of centering, of silence, of solitude, in the thin hush, Jesus tells his disciples, Exactly what he was called to do. We must go on to the towns because I need to preach to them too. That's why I came. Jesus did not come for a group of people. He has come for all people. And he knows that because of his time with the Father. He knows when to say yes and when to say no, when to stay and when to move on. This is what rejuvenated is every day and you will find all the time. It's mentioned that Jesus goes away to pray alone in the mornings. He spends time praying in the evenings alone. Jesus actually has this moment with all the disciples where he sends them out and they all go out to minister and they're all caring for people. They're um, casting out demons and they're seeing healings and they come back pumped to tell Jesus about what's happened. And as you work through the Gospel of Mark, as you hit chapter six, they begin to tell Jesus, we did all these cool things. All these things happened. This is amazing. And do you know what Jesus says to them? As the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there's so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Do you see how Jesus, when there was ministry that could be done, it doesn't always mean it has to be done. When his disciples come back pumped and they're like, but we could do even more. He's says, like, whoa, 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 whoa. I need you to step back for a second. You need to rejuvenate. You need to catch up. The phrase that I've been hearing over and over that I love is, you need to let your soul catch up to your body. Hold on a second here. Let's get in the boat and go away because no one can get us right away. You need a nap. Elijah finishes on the mountain, and what does he do? He runs and then he takes a nap. The disciples are like, what am I supposed to do? Take a nap. When I got stuck in the woods, what did I do? I took a nap. Why? Because I didn't know anything else but performance and neither did the disciples. And then in Matthew 26, even in preparation for his death, what does Jesus do? He gathers his 11 disciples that were left after Judas had gone. And he says, would you follow me to pray? And then he grabs a couple of very, you know his best friends and said, I, we're going to leave those guys there. I need you really to pray with me and about what's coming because this is not going to be good. And then he takes another couple of steps away by himself and there's levels of solitude, even in the midst of community. There's solitude there. And he does what? He spends time with the Father pleading with him, understanding who, who he is and his identity was never lost in the performance It was always grounded in loving people, and that had to come from time with God. This is the gift of silence and solitude for us. Jesus so clearly demonstrates it, and if for you and me, as apprentices of Jesus, we are called to simply follow in his footsteps, we have no choice but to dictate, to mandate, to plan in our own lives and carve out time for silence and solitude. When I went on my sabbatical a couple of years ago here at Crossbridge, which again, thank you so much for that gift, I realized the gift of silence and solitude in a way I never had. I found this moment where I signed up for a retreat um, at a retreat center in North Jersey, and as I pulled into the lot, I got all my stuff out ready, and I was like, oh, this is going to be good, here we go. And I sit down to dinner, and I remember the, uh, the pastor priest who was leading the retreat said, this is the last meal that we have together that we'll be able to talk. So get used to you know, meeting the guys around you and we'll move into our silence from here until Sunday after we break our silence at lunch. And I looked at the guys around my table and I was like, oh, and they're like, oh yeah, we love this silent retreat. And I was like, what did I just sign up for? What did I just, <gasps> this is gonna be a nightmare. I'm never gonna be able to do this. I was forced to, <gasps> I-, I must have signed up for the wrong thing. But in that 48 hours, I need to tell you that God met me in a way that I never ever could have planned or understood. I left a majority of my books and study in my dorm room. I found myself in the woods by myself, walking around the Stations of the Cross, which for An evangelical pastor was a very weird thing. But I didn't say anything. I was silent. I couldn't produce anything. I couldn't write any sermons. I couldn't plan any Bible studies. I couldn't dream for the vision of Crossbridge and where I want to go. I had nothing to do. And I have never in my life felt more loved than I did in that moment. And it wasn't because I did so well. It was because I did nothing. I realized my nothingness as I walked in the rain. I realized my nothingness as I slept, as I ate, as I said nothing. And I am a pastor whose livelihood is built on words. And they were stolen from me. And God said, that's the Jimmy I love. That's who I've created. I never would have had that because sometimes I just talk to God. I don't really listen, especially for the thin hush. Crossbridge, God is inviting you into silence and into solitude, into intentional carved out time with him, not to make you feel uncomfortable, not to frustrate you, but to remind you of who you really are so that when life begins to crumble around you and people need compassion, people need healing, work needs more of you, you have never changed. You have always been a son or a daughter of God, chosen by Him. Just because you're you, not because of what you could do, but because of who you are. And we need this. Today I find this time for me daily and I cannot imagine my life without it. I need time before anyone in my house wakes up alone. I love my family immensely, but I need to hear what Jesus says before I hear what my wife says or my kids say. I need to hear what God wants to say before I hear what the staff at Crossbridge is dreaming and thinking and doing. I need to hear from God before I ever hear from you and what's in your life and that you're needing help or encouragement or or whatever. If I don't hear from God, you have a horrible pastor. If our staff doesn't pause to be with Jesus, who, who how are we ever gonna to serve together? I can't imagine my life today without this time. I can't imagine my life today without ending my night in silence. I let everyone go to bed so I could be by myself for a second to say, God, what just happened today? And I reflect and go through the prayer of examine in my days. Why did I respond to that? Where did I miss you? Where did I see you? Show me. I'm not talking hours and hours, I'm talking five, 10 minutes. But it makes all the difference in the world to know that when I go to bed, whether I've performed, produced, or been constructive, it doesn't matter because God loves me. And Psalm 127 tells me that he grants rest to those he loves, and so I can rest in his love that night and wake up ready for the next day. I don't have to impress you. I love you, but my worth and value is not dictated by what you think of me, by if I've showed up in the way that you thought I should, or if I've preached a great message or horrible message. I know that God loves me. I'm gonna do my best, but what you think of me fails in comparison to what God thinks of me. And so as we step into silence and solitude together, I wanna invite you into this, not to perform, not to do, not to accomplish. Because what we're gonna do goes against all those impulses. This is about being with God with no agenda. You don't get to choose how this time is, just shut up. Listen. And so there's four things that you could step into very quickly. And the first one is, I wanna encourage you to start and end your day in silence end it in solitude. Start it and end it by yourself. Take 10 minutes to just pause. Um, For me, personally, I like to get ready in the morning, so I'll brush my teeth, I'll make coffee, and I like to sit in my Jesus chair with my coffee, and I I kinda wanna get my brain going before I ever am with Jesus, because otherwise I'm gonna start resting in the Lord again if I decide to take that time of stillness in bed. I will fall asleep, and I know this because it happens. (laughs) Jesus, I'm just gonna listen to you. and I'm done. Listen, find a place that you can start with. I won't listen to my kids, my wife, or any tech. I won't open anything until that time is complete because I wanna know what God wants for my day before anybody else does. Find 10 minutes, you can do this, I know that you can. Um, no screens, no kids. Turn your phone off early in the evening. I do this, if you text me late, you know I usually don't respond to you because it's off because I get nothing but distraction from it, so how can I hear from God if I'm distracted? So I turn it off. I put it away for a little bit. Why? Because this is very loud. This just yells at me with notifications and everything that's going on and wrong, and and I can't hear a thin hush over loud yelling. Second thing I want you to step into is to practice practice many moments of silence many moments of silence maybe you're at the point where you're like I I don't know how to handle this you know 10 minutes in the morning evening things I have learned to really really enjoy many moments of silence when I jump into the car there are times that I will not turn the car radio on I will not have uh, the Bluetooth I'll turn everything off simply for the silence in my car I love the moments when I get to stop at a red light and instead of you check the phone you to fix this, you wipe that, you you yell it. There's a moment, right? We've got a specific amount of time. And in that time I have found myself going, can I be quiet from the moment I have to stop until the moment turns green? Can I slow my mind down for 30 seconds right now before I have to go? That's a mini moment of silence. I can hear from God in that moment. Do you know if you didn't take your phone into the bathroom, you'd have more time alone. We used to do this, it was great. You could spend time alone. In breathing? What if you didn't have music if you took a shower and you just showered thinking, processing? What if you paused in the checkout line instead of checking your phone, waiting before you checked out, you just sat there? Listen for the thin hush. I know it's busy, but you could still carry silence with you. You could pray for the person who's in front of you, behind you, and the cashier, who's probably had a tough day in COVID times. Embrace your mini moment of silence. For those of you who like video games, I know that your load screens are forever. What if you didn't check something else during a load screen and you paused in silence? Slow down your life a little bit because God is in these moments. And in those moments, we begin to prep our heart for what's next. Instead of showing up rushed, anxious, and ready to produce, we show up ready, centered, to love like God does. The third thing you could do is carve out 30 minutes in your week this week. And I say carve out because many of you, like myself, have schedules that feel full, and you're going to have to intentionally say, in this half hour, I am going to shut down everything. I am going to eliminate all distractions and all things. You have to plan this, and just like Jesus, different times could work for you. If you tend to be a night person, then carve that time out at night. It doesn't have to be in the morning. I tend to be more of a night person by nature. So if I'm gonna spend a half hour alone, I like that night time. But I like my regular timings in the morning, evening, and maybe afternoon that I could find time with Jesus. But if it's gonna be a chunk, it's gotta be night. Because in the day, it just feels different. For those of you who are morning people that you wake up at like before the sun and you're like, let's go today. Y- great, that's your half hour. I don't know how you get up and do that, but I don't have to know. God's wired you that way. Respond to the wiring that God's given you and find a half hour block. You have to plan this out. If you have a family, you need to tell them, in this half hour, I'm untouchable. Back off. If you find yourself um, in uh, as, as just walking through the pain of divorce and you're a single parent and you're having to deal with that, listen, use one of those weekends that you can say, I- I'm gonna take some of that weekend time where I don't have my kids. And instead of whatever, take your time to be with Jesus. Redeem that time a little bit. And the last thing that you could do is this is gonna take some planning, some very strategic planning, is to plan a half a day away. You need to plan a half a day away by yourself where you can take time to either sit in the woods like we are now, you can take time to go to a retreat center, Um, go somewhere where people are not, to simply be alone. Bring your Bible bring a journal, don't bring a ton of books and things you have to accomplish, but just to center with Jesus. What do you want from me now? Those times of retreat are great for thinking, what's happening in this next season? What's coming up for me that, that, Lord, you need to prepare my heart for? If you are someone at Crossbridge or whoever isn't part of Crossbridge, but watching this and you feel like you want to take that half day retreat and you want to plan that out, do me a favor and just contact me send me an email at jimmy at crossbridgecc.org so that I can help walk you along, because there's a lot of emotions, feelings, and thoughts that are going to come into play in this that you're not going to expect. And I want to give you a heads up so that you can prepare as best you can for that. Silence. Solitude. Stillness. This is the invitation of God, not as a mandate, but truly is an opportunity to know who we are so that we show up the best we can for others. We show up centered in Christ at every meeting, at every small group, at every meal with our family. We're centered in Jesus. And so instead of ending our time now just by blessing you, praying for you, and going, I can't think of a better way than to spend three minutes in silence together. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do is to get into a comfortable but not sleepy position wherever you're watching this now. And if you're listening to it, I would ask that you take a moment to pause for just three minutes. And we're going to just spend some time in silence and in solitude. Let's spend that time together. God, I thank you so much for the privilege of simply being still, silent, and knowing that in three minutes I've done nothing, but you love me in my nothingness because you chose me. You've chosen us. And so God, I pray a special blessing over Crossbridge. And Crossbridge, I pray for you now that you would find moments of stillness, quiet, And in those moments, you would know the love of God that surpasses all understanding, that it would guard your heart and guard your mind, that you would not feel like you need to perform for others, but know that you were loved because you've been chosen. Amen. Crossbridge, I love you. I miss you. And I cannot wait to see you soon. God bless you.